Okay, um, well, good evening, everybody. Uh, tonight, we continue uh, to go through the, uh, the, the Kingdom of the Cults with Walter Martin, and we finished, what did we do last week? Scientology, yeah, man. So how are y'all's Thetans tonight? Y'all's Thetans doing all right? Is yours on Mars tonight, Jim? Yeah, yeah, that, that, and you're, are all y'all, are, are you all clear of your engrams? Okay, so you, you got on the machine and got clear of your engrams, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the engram is gone. Uh, Scientology is just absolute. I mean, it really does. Reading Scientology really seems like science fiction, you know. And so it makes sense that that guy was a was a science fiction writer before he did that. So, so tonight, who who here? Let me ask you this question: Who here has historically confused Scientology with Christian Science? I have. I have confused the two. I did not know there was a difference. Um, until we studied this, and they are completely different, different religions, okay? If you want to call them a religion's cult or whatever. But this is Christian Science. This is the website. It is actually there. I mean, you can go out to the website and look at the website, and I actually uh, went out and listened to a church service in Boston. For, they, had a, they had a church service today, if you want to call it a church service, and I listened to it, and uh, the only two things about it that were even biblical, they did do a reading from Ezekiel, and they did a reading from a psalm, I think, but spent no time expounding it, just read them, and then went straight back to uh, the book that Mary Baker Eddy wrote and kind of made comments from, from, her, from her books, and that, and that was it. They, they did sing, and the singing was, the singing was good. I mean, it, it wasn't bad. But, uh, but this is it, so if you want to go out there and see what they do, they, they, everything's about healing, okay? Everything is about healing, 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 healing. Nothing, nothing about sin, nothing about forgiveness, no, no, none of that. Just healing, miraculous healing. So if you've got some kind of uh, ailment or whatever that, that's through this, through belonging to them and being in their church, you can, be, you can be healed, okay? That's what, it's all, it's all, all about that. Um, anyway, you can spend some time looking at that. I just wanted to show you that it, that it is really out there, and it is a, it, it's actually a pretty good website, honestly. All right, so that, that's the website. So let me go back to the presentation now, and we'll get going here. All right, Kingdom of the Cults, and tonight we do Christian Science Session 1, and notice on their insignia, what does that say? Can somebody read that? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. That is uh, straight out of some of the commission passages in the New Testament. Uh, the founder of this movement is a woman named Mary Baker Eddy. We'll talk all about her tonight. I think we can, I think we can finish this in two sessions. We'll do tonight's session, and then, then next uh, Wednesday will be completely all the theology. We'll touch on some of the theology tonight, but next Wednesday will be all theology. And I, I feel pretty confident we can get done with this in two sessions. This is something that Mary Baker Eddy quoted out of one of her books. The sharp experiences of belief in the suppositiousness life of matter. Did I say that right? Suppositiousness, is that right? Suppositiousness. Suppositiousness. I don't know. Life of matter. as well as our disappointments and ceaseless woes, turn us like tired children to the arms of divine love. 
So that's one of her famous quotes. All right, that is the actual church, and I believe that church is in Boston, if I'm not mistaken, that church building up there. That is Mary Baker Eddy, and that is probably one of the most uncomfortable-looking um, garments I think I've ever seen on a woman. Uh, that was back in the early 19th century, eight, the 1800 and some odd beyond 50s there. And then uh, that's another picture of her there. God, these are, the, these are the quick facts on Christian science. Okay, the quick facts on Christian science. God is divine principle. Anybody see a problem with that? Big problem with that, right? He's not just a divine principle. He is a, he is a being. God is a, is a being, okay? Not just a principle, he's a being. Jesus is not God. Anybody see a problem with that? Okay. The incarnation and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ did not occur. Right? Scripture is not inerrant, so they would not last five seconds among our number. Amen? Well, I mean, for any of these, for that matter. Sin, death, and evil do not exist. How great does that sound? Does that sound fantastic? I bet that'll sell tickets. There is no literal physical existence of, of the material universe. So everything we are experiencing here is a figment of our imagination. Yes? So is this really the Matrix? <laughs> the Matrix. He, he, he's making a joke about that, that series that came out with Keanu Reeves years ago where uh, aliens had, had uh, the machines had taken over the world and, and now they were, they were getting human beings like, like they were somehow making human beings. And then as the human beings grew, they, they had all these electrodes connected to them. And so the human being, for the, the, the human being's whole life, all the human being was was a battery that fueled the machine. I mean, it was, re it was really an interesting science fiction movie. But yes, that, that's, I mean, that's in the, in the realm of what she's saying. Um, it, who knows what Gnosticism is? Y'all ever heard that term, Gnosticism? You should have heard that term at some point uh, in your life as a Christian. If, if, if where you've been, they were serious about teaching you false teachings uh, in, in, the, in history. Gnosticism was one of the most powerful heresies that came around the time of the Apostle John. Uh, many believe that the Gospel of John was a polemic against Gnosticism. Um, I, I think it's possible that it... I don't know that that was the reason why John wrote the Gospel, but I, but I definitely think uh, it, it is a polemic against it. But um, what Gnosticism basically believes is, is that Jesus was a spirit being and was not, was not in the flesh. Okay? That's what Gnosticism is. Uh, that is completely false and, compl and completely heretical. Do y'all understand why Christ had to be in the body? Because he had to die on the cross, because he had to atone for our sin. Okay. So anyway, just, just to be sure. All right, historical perspective. Uh, for decades, Christian science was the matriarch of the mind science family. I didn't go into all that. Um, and neither did he, but, um, but so there's this mind science family must be, must be very related to this as well. Uh, they hit, meaning, meaning Christian science, hit a rapid decline in the 1960s. And they had a massive leadership scandals in, the, in 76 that forced them to do some reform in their membership and leadership. I don't know what those scandals were. I didn't go, I, 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 really, I, I hate to be ugly, but I didn't care enough about Christian science to go that far, okay? Um, and neither will you when this is over, all right? Since the mid-1980s, it has solidified its public image as a benign Christian denomination, a thoughtful, 
spiritually mature people who enjoy a rather intellectual, quiet faith that gives them peace with God without any of the unappealing aspects of traditional Christianity, such as the existence of hell, the doctrine of the Trinity, or the incarnation, resurrection, and atonement of Jesus Christ. So why is it called Christians? I mean, I, 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 through this whole study, I have no idea why they want to call it Christian science, because it's, it's, it's anything but, but Christ-focused. Mary Ann Morse Baker, okay, that was her maiden name, better known among the band of faithful Christian scientists as Mary Baker Eddy, mother and leader, the discoverer and founder of Christian science. And to this day, even in their readings, two of her primary books, they're required to buy those books, read those books, and recite those books. And, and in, the, in the worship service, the little few minutes that I listened to today, they actually had readings from her book. So this woman is still idolized, still worshipped as the primary guru of Christian science all these years later. She was born in Bow, New Hampshire in the year 1821 in the humble surroundings of a New Hampshire farmhouse and reared a strict congregationalist, which means what? Huh? Well, yes, I mean, or, or, or Puritan, I mean, one of, one of, somewhere in there. Congregationalists could be, could be several different types, but congregationalists, when they came here, they were basically came out of English separatism. I mean, those would have been the ones that, that traveled over the ocean that came to America for a new start, the Magnolia, all, all that, the Mayflower Compact and all that. Okay, Magnolia, the Mayflower Compact. So in other words, she was raised by who? Christians. Yes, I mean, she was raised in a Christian home. The life of young Mary Baker until her 22nd year was marked with frequent illnesses, and these are hints to why she went down this, down this path, of both emotional and physical nature and, then, and the then infant science of mesmerism. Now, this was something new that I did not know existed. was often applied to her case with some success. So remember, during this time, medicine, medicine had not had near the advances that we have now. Does everybody understand that? I mean, you had people walking around with elixirs and bottles. I mean, if you if you watch the the wild wild, if you watch the westerns and stuff, you always had these these peddlers trying to get you to buy this miracle elixir that would you know cure everything. This is kind of around the same time frame we're talking about here. So mesmerism was something that was like was believed back then, and I put I put this in there so you would you would know kind of what it is because I had no idea. I would have never thought, huh? Yes, right, right. I, I would have never called it animal magnetism, but they use, they use both of those terms interchangeably when, when, you, when you study this. So animal magnetism, also known as mesmerism, is a theory invented by German Dr. Franz Mesmer in the 18th century. Now, I have heard mesmerize used many times in my life, but really more in the context of you know, he, like, like two single people and one is mesmerized by the other. Or, or she really mesmerized him, or he really mesmerized her. Or I went into this office, and, and the salesman was so good that he just mesmerized me and made me buy this car. You know, it's just the idea that they're, that they're irresistible in their, in their technique is, is kind of the, and I guess where the animal magnetism comes from. So it posits the existence of an invisible natural force, and I'm not about to try to pronounce that, possessed by all living things, including humans, animals, and, of course, vegetables, right? He claimed that the force could have physical effects, including healing. 
Mesmerism attracted practitioners and audiences with its peak around 1780 and 1850. And the technique usually involves some social role playing where the mesmerizer would make suggestions to his clients who eventually became absolutely mesmerized by him in some sort of hypnosis-like trance. So, I mean, what do you say about that, you know? So you go into a room and somebody gives you the warm and fuzzies, I guess, when you talk to them, and I, is that what we would call it today? She gave you the warm and fuzzies? But, that, but that, that's, that's, the, that's the area that we're dealing with here in this, in this uh, theology, if you want to call it theology. She married George W. Glover in December of 1943 at 22 years old. Not a year later, while Mary was pregnant, her husband suddenly died of yellow fever. It was very tragic for her. And uh, What you'll find is that this, this theme of illness and tragedy kind of runs through her family. And most, most people that have studied her, like Walter Martin have, they kind of see that as the driving force behind her desire theologically or spiritually. She's losing these, these husbands to death and all this kind of stuff. So she's constantly trying to find the, a, 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 healing, a healing method through all this so that she can be rid of all that. And as we know, I mean, I mean, amen, if God heals us, praise God Jesus, amen. But, I mean, it's not guaranteed. I mean, I've prayed for myself to be healed. I've prayed for people to be healed a thousand times since I've been a Christian. And sometimes, I mean, occasionally they do, and, and most of the time they don't. So. Death doesn't exist. Right, death doesn't exist. <laughs> so what, why is she worried about it anyway? Exactly. So while she was pregnant, her husband suddenly died of yellow fever, leaving her in a very difficult position where she used morphine regularly as a medication. Now, this morphine use is something they fight against because supposedly you don't have to use drugs because God is going to heal you anyway. But it's irrefutable that she used morphine. Nobody will call her addicted, but, but they will say that she used morphine on and off for these ailments that she had. That's irrefutable. Although Christian science tries to say she didn't, she did. There's records everywhere that she did. So after she marries George Glover, 10 years pass, and he dies. 10 years pass, she marries... Dr. Daniel M. Patterson, a dentist. Now, this is an interesting fact that Mary Baker's own father, that should say own, O-W-N, sorry about that, tried to tell Daniel not to marry her due to her instability, right? So the, so, the, so the daddy's trying to tell this future husband, you don't want to marry my daughter. But he did it anyway, and then a few years later, she divorced Daniel, claiming abandonment, okay? So we got two marriages down already, bless her heart. The third and last marriage of Mary Baker Glover Patterson was to one Asa, that's a good name, right? Monarchy out of Israel. Asa G. Eddy, and when Miss Eddy was 56 years of age, okay? Asa Eddy's death of a coronary thrombosis prompted Miss Eddy to commit a nearly fatal mistake where Christian science was concerned. She contested the autopsy report, and the physician she chose confirmed her conviction that Asa died, get this now, it, I mean, I had to read this like five times to be sure that I hadn't like mistyped something into the, into the presentation, that Asa died of arsenic poisoning mentally administered. That's a good question, Walter. That's where I kind of stopped and thought to myself, surely this is a misprint. It's not a misprint, okay? 
such a radical report, would you agree with that, a radical report, prompted an inquiry into the credentials of Ms. Eddy's physician, Dr. C.J. Eastman, Dean of the Bellevue Medical College outside Boston. It was found that Dr. Eastman was running a virtual abortion mill and had no medical credentials whatever to justify his title. Remember all the way through this cult study, all the way through this cult study, that there's, there's one common thread behind with all these cult leaders and everybody involved with them. And what is that common thread? Bad character always. Character shines through. So here's this doctor who's, who's lying and uh, kind of makes you wonder, kind of makes you wonder how, how she got this doctor, if he really was a doctor, to testify in that fashion. Kind of makes you wonder what was going on there. Maybe, maybe he was mesmerized by her. Maybe. There he is. How do you like that hairdo? How would you like to see him coming at you with a scalpel? Yep, there he is. Yep. That was the main picture I could find on him. There were plenty of Mary Baker, but that was, it was only like two or three like, like that. So he was sentenced to 10 years in prison upon his conviction, and the Bellevue Medical College closed. Ms. Eddy had contradicted her own advice concerning autopsies, and she would have been far better off to have practiced in this instance what she preached and to have abandoned Ace's remains to the scrap heap of mental malpractice, but the error was virtually unavoidable since Ms. Eddy was not to be outdone by any medical doctor. She was an expert healer by her own admissions. The autopsy was therefore inevitable. Ms. Eddy's letter to the Boston Post dated June 5, 1882, in which she accused some of her former students of mentally poisoning. Are y'all getting this? <laughs> mentally poisoning Asa Eddy with malicious mesmerism. So they psyched him out until he died. Is that basically what she's saying? Well, I mean, it says that he died of arsenic. I mean, they mentally gave him arsenic. You can't. You can't mentally give somebody arsenic. Now, it's a great metaphor, amen? It's a great metaphor. In fact, I might use it Sunday. But, but I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's not, it's, you, can't, you can't mentally poison somebody and kill them. It's just not possible. Well, they had, maybe, they, maybe they had him believing that he had some kind of arsenic poison. Maybe, maybe, well, maybe that powerful belief made him, I mean, maybe, I, mean, I, I don't know, Jack. That, that's a good, good follow-up comment for sure. So she accused some of her former students of mentally poisoning Asa Eddy with malicious mesmerism in the form of arsen arsenic mentally administered is one of the most pathetic examples of Ms. Eddy's mental state ever recorded in one which the Christian Science Church would like to, like to forget she ever wrote. I do not blame you at all. The real history of Christian Science, however, cannot be told unless... One P.P. Quimby of Portland, Maine, be considered for history, tells us that as Ms. Eddy was the mother of Christian science, so Phineas Parkhurst Quimby was undoubtedly its father. Dr. Quimby, in the late 1850s, entitled his system of mental healing the science of man and used the terms the science of Christ 
and Christian science for some time before Miss Eddy gratuitously appropriated the terminology as her own, something she dared not do while the old gentleman was alive and her relationship to him known to all. So she basically got to know this doctor, and then when he died, she basically did what? Plagiarized all of his work. Just took it for her own. And if you've got the book, it, uh, Walter Go it gives you probably three or four pages of excerpts from his work and then her work side by side. And I mean, with, with very rare exception, it is word for word. I mean, she didn't even try to like digest and then write something different. She just copied it. Yes, Jim? She could be a president of Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she could. She could. She could be a president of Harvard. That's a great point this day and time. Absolutely. All right, moving right along. There is P.P. Quimby. My favorite one is the one without the beard. I like that one. So there he is. That's P.P. Quimby. We have him to thank for this, some of this Christian science stuff. At first, Mary publicly praised Quimby for healing her from spinal inflammation when she went to Portland, Maine in 1862. She claimed that after one week of visitation with Dr. Q, she was able to climb 182 steps and continue to improve. In later years, she seemed to turn on Quimby by calling him an unlearned man. How convenient is that? Dr. Quimby termed his ideas science of health. Ms. Eddy entitled her book Science and Health with a little caveat with key to the scriptures and published it in 1875 filled with numerous plagiarisms from the manuscripts of P.P. Quimby and by the writings of Francis Lieber, a German-American publisher and authority on the philosophy of Hegel. It should be noted here that although Eddie appears to have plagiarized a significant portion of Quimby's material, she did not agree with all of his conclusions. So she's all over the place, but she's riding on his coattail in the work that he did. You know, today it's harder to plagiarize people. You know, I mean, have you noticed over the past like 10 years, like I, more people have probably been caught plagiarizing and publicly exposed than probably in the previous 30 years of my life. I mean, I've known four or five theologians within the past 10 years that have been called out for, for, for plagiarizing uh, in, in, in like commentaries, in like New American commentaries and stuff. So with the, elect with the electronic age, it's just so much easier because you can take that work. They actually, I remember at Southwestern when we did our doc, my, my final doctoral thesis, they had this, um, this software that you had to upload your, your thesis to and then it like, it like calculated for like, like an hour and then came back and would give you what percentage of possibility that paper was plagiarized. It was, it was really, really, and then if it was over like 40 or 50%, then they would take it and they would you know, dub, double check it. So you can't really do what she did anymore. It's just not possible. Uh, the, next, the next portion he has is the figment of divine authorship. I followed, I followed the book verbatim, so if you've got the book, we're going right along with the book. It's just, I mean, Walter Martin has done such a great job on this. I probably would have edited it a little different in some areas, but, but overall, it's, it's fantastic. According to an authorized statement published by the Christian Science Publishing Society of Boston, Eddie, after a fall on the slippery sidewalk, February the 1st, 1866, was pronounced incurable 
and given three days to live by the attending physician, Dr. Alvin M. Cushing. And this was a story that she obviously used a lot in her teaching and in her testimony because it's all through her works, and, and it, I think it got so pronounced that people actually kind of dug into it a little bit to, to verify if it really happened and come to find out it, it really didn't happen. Or she fell, but it, wasn't like, it didn't result like the way she said it was. The third day, okay, after she falls, and this doctor gets involved, the third day, allegedly her last day on earth, Eddie, the statement makes out, cried for a Bible, read Matthew 9, 2, and guess what happened? Rose completely healed, okay? Now, hey, man, who's, I mean, that, that could happen. Hey, man, I mean, that, that, could, that could happen. I mean, God heals people. Thus, the statement claims she discovered Christian science. This is the story maintained by the organization today as a comment on the First Church of Christ Scientist website states. In, 1880, in 1866, Eddie was severely injured in a fall and turned to the Bible as she had been accustomed to doing. All she had pondered in the past came strongly and clearly to her as she read an account of one of Jesus' healings. She was immediately healed. Convinced that God had healed her, she spent the next several years searching the scriptures to understand the principle behind her healing. She named her discovery Christian Science and explained it in 1875 when she first wrote Science and Health. Ms. Eddy never discovered Christian science in the manner claimed, never was in danger of losing her life in the manner described, and never rose the third day healed and free as she maintained. Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind, this, this, is that, this is that realm of accountability that we are very uncomfortable with uh, as, as Americans. Um, digging into somebody's testimony and somebody's claims about God uh, these days, that's, that's a sacred area, and you are not allowed to question it. You are not allowed to judge it. If somebody tells you they experienced something, what do they expect you to do? Absolutely, okay? I could not disagree with that more. If somebody tells us they've experienced something, we, I, I think it's our God-given mandate to explore it and to investigate it, to be sure that it lines up with the Word of God. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's very uncomfortable, but... I mean, th this lady right here was investigated, and it all come, came out to be a bunch of gobbledygook. Two incontrovertible facts established these truths beyond a shadow of a doubt. Number one, Dr. Alvin M. Cushing, the attending physician at this illness of Ms. Eddy, denied under oath in a thousand-word statement. That's a lot of words for a doctor to write back in that time. That he ever believed or said that she was in a precarious physical condition. Moreover, Dr. Cushing stated, contrary to the claims of Christian science, that Eddie always enjoyed robust health and that he further attended her in August of the same year, four separate times, and administered, and administered medicine to her for bodily ailments. Number two, Julius Dresser, pupil of the late Dr. Quimby, received a letter from Eddie dated February 15, 1866, two weeks after her alleged recovery from the fall on an icy sidewalk. In this letter, Eddie alludes to the fall and claims Dr. Cushing resigned her to the life of a cripple. Eddie wrote, two weeks ago I fell on the sidewalk and struck my back on the ice. This is, this is Mary Baker, Eddie, with her testimony about what happened. Two weeks ago I fell on the sidewalk and struck my back on the ice and was taken for dead came to consciousness amid a storm of vapors from cologne, chloroform, ether, camphor, etc. 
but to find myself the helpless cripple I was before I saw Dr. Quimby. The physician attending said I had taken the last step I, sh I ever should, but in two days I got out of bed alone and, I will, and, walk, and will walk. But yet I confess I am frightened. Now can't you help me? I think I could help another in my condition, yet I am slowly failing. Horace T. Wentworth, with whose mother Eddie lived in, Stra in Stroughton while she was teaching from the Quimby Manuscripts, has made the following statement, and no Christian science scientist has ever refuted it. As I have seen the amazing spread of this delusion and the way in which men and women are offering up money and the lives of their children to it, I have felt that it is a duty I owe to the public to make it known. I have no hard feelings against Ms. Eddy, no axe to grind, no interest to serve. I simply feel that it is due the thousands of good people who have made Christian science the anchorage of their souls and its founder the infallible guide of their daily life to keep this no longer to myself. I desire only that people who take themselves and their helpless children into Christian science shall do so with the full knowledge that this is not divine revelation but simply the idea of an old-time main healer. How do you like that? You got the guts to write that about somebody in your, in your community? We need to from time to time. You know, back in the old days, if, uh, if something really big happened in a community, do you know what they did? Back at, back, I, don't, I don't know if it was in the 1800s. It was probably somewhere, somewhere in, the, in the 18th or 19th century. In churches... If they had a, a, and I've got a book that I can show you this if you don't believe me. If there, were, if there were sinning members to the degree that it had become a scandal in the community, all right? Like if a husband and wife were having problems and one of them had gotten into an adulterous affair, a serious adulterous affair or something, the congregation would actually write a, 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 um, an article and put it in the local paper so that the whole community knew that they were aware of what was happening and that it was being dealt with in a biblical, ma in, in a biblical manner. How do you think that would fly today? Lawsuits? What else? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean it would be bad. But they, they, took, they took the purity and the holiness of the church seriously. They took it seriously. I mean, you wonder why our nation is in the shape that it's in. Look at the shape of the churches, right? You look at the shape of the churches, the, nation, the nation's spiritual condition is going to follow the church's spiritual condition. Always remember that. Always remember that. <clears throat> when Eddie left the thankless community of Lynn, Massachusetts, this is, that's where she started, she was then 61 years old and possessed fewer than 50 persons she would call followers. As the calendar neared 1896, however, the indomitable will and perseverance of Mary Baker Eddy began to pay sizable dividends. Her churches and societies numbered well over 400, and the membership in them eventually increased from 8 to 900 percent. Considering what she had to work with, Eddie accomplished a financial miracle and a propaganda goal unrivaled for its efficiency and ruthlessness. From her ceaseless efforts for deification and wealth, there followed continual revisions of science and health, which the faithful were commanded to purchase and sell or stand in danger of excommunication from the Eddie autocracy. So what's she saying? What's he saying there? 
is that this book that she wrote that she required everybody to, to read for membership into the Christian science community, uh, as she received new what? Revelations, as she received more word from whoever, whatever demon she was receiving it from, and she updated her, her books, what did she do with that? She required the entire Christian science community to buy those books. If they didn't buy those books and try to sell those books, what did she threaten them with? To being thrown out of the church. That, my friends, if that ain't evidence of a cult, I don't know what is, okay? Even if I wrote a book, how would that fly here if I said, uh, our next Bible study is going to be a book that I wrote. You have to buy this book, and I want you to go out and sell this book to as many of your friends as you can. If you don't do that, I'm going to throw you out of this church. How would that go? Man, there would be a deacon's meeting so fast after I announced that. Carl would come over, and he would say, Brother Shelby, we need, we need, we need to talk to you for a few minutes. And my wife would be standing at the door going, Son, honey, have you lost your mind? I mean, what are you doing here? You know, she would. That's something I've all... Y'all remember the, um, the Boston bomber? Uh, that, that, that bombed the Boston Marathon back several years ago. We were talking about that. You know, the girlfriend, his girlfriend, the dude that did it, his girlfriend's the one that turned him in. Did y'all remember that story? I, was, I remember I was sitting with some military guys, uh, a couple of pilots that I was eating lunch with the, the couple weeks after that happened. And uh, we were sitting there eating, and we, somehow the Boston bomber came up, and, uh, and they said, man, did you know the, that, that guy's girlfriend uh, turned him in for that bombing? said, so do y'all think y'all's wives would do that to y'all? And I went, do I think Angie would turn me in if I was blowing people up? You better believe she would turn me in if I was blowing people up. Just like that. I mean, no question about it. All right, moving right along. Should the skeptical reader wish proof on this point of history and on Eddie's insatiable greed for the comforts of financial security and power? We quote her announcement to that effect in its entirety. So this is the actual text from her announcement that she made. Christian scientists in the United States and Canada are hereby enjoined not to teach a student of Christian science for one year, commencing on March 14, 1897. Miscellaneous writings is calculated to prepare the minds of all true thinkers to understand the Christian science textbook more correctly than a student can. The Bible, science, and health with key to the scriptures and my other published works are the only proper instructors for this hour, it shall be the duty of all Christian scientists to circulate and to sell as many of these books as they can. If a member of the First Church of Christ scientist shall fail to obey this injunction, it will render him liable to lose his membership in this church. And of course, all the proceeds of the sales went directly to who? Her. Exactly. Please pay close heed to what Eddie said in the above quote. She did not ask. She commanded all scientists as their duty to her church to circulate and sell her works and obey her injunction under penalty of loss of membership. If perchance a method of blackmail is ever rendered legal, it should not be stated in more compelling terminology than this encyclical form from the, encyclical from the Eddie throne. So... Just to let you know the kind of, kind of woman she was, because, I, I mean, I know that we all, I mean, you know, I, I struggle. I mean, I struggle calling people out, you know, when I, you, you want to be charitable and you want to, well, maybe she really, maybe it's just, she's just confused and doesn't understand what she's doing. You know, we need to extend grace. I mean, in this case, time after time after time after time after time, 
the woman completely perverted the Word of God, completely perverted the, the, the gospel, and, and made millions and misled millions of people doing so. And if there is one group on earth that should stand against that, who should it be? Us, right? I mean, it's the gospel we were given that God brought down to us, and we need to do everything we can to protect it and protect those that are out there under false teaching. All right, I don't know what, what happened there. There it is. Okay, here we go. Moving right along. In one instance, she demanded that all her followers buy an updated copy of Science and Help. And I love this. You're going to love this. The updated copy consisted of the exact same information with a couple of added sentences. Made them buy a whole new book, a whole new edition, and the only change was two added sentences. Two added sentences. Imagine paying $3 for a new book in 1908 for two sentences. It was the same old volume, accepting this new sage advice, and countless loyal scientists obliged her wish by dutifully pouring their money into the Eddie treasury. It is no wonder that at her death, Eddie's personal fortune exceeded $3 million, and that was in the early 19th century. None of this, unfortunately, was left to charity. So... <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. The tea jacket swindle, this is weird. Um, just strange. Why tea jackets? Uh, I have no idea, but this is, this is it. As a result of, of this, Eddie perpetrated on the faithful, the infamous tea jacket swindle, calculated to draw from her gullible followers the revenue with which to further strengthen her treasury. In line with this scheme, she drafted the following request to her church, Universal, which appeared in the Christian Science Journal, December 21st, 1899. 1899. So right around Christmas time, she sends this out. So I guess she needed some Christmas money. I don't know. Beloved, I ask this favor of all Christian signs. Remember, this is four days before Christmas. Four days before Christmas. Beloved, I ask this favor of all Christian scientists. Do not give me on before or after the forthcoming holiday alt material except three tea jackets. All may contribute to these. One learns to value material things only as one needs them. And what does she preach all the time about the material world? It doesn't exist, but she wants tea jackets, right? Only as one needs them, and the costliest things are the ones that one needs most. Among my present needs, material are these. Three jackets, two of darkish heavy silk, the shade appropriate to white hair. Yes, that would be her hair, ladies, right? At least she's thoughtful. The third of heavy satin, lighter shade, but sufficiently somber. Numbers one and two to be common sense jackets for mother to work in. And who's she talking about when she says mother? Herself. And not over-trimmed by any means. <laughs> not over-trimmed by any means. Number three for best, such as she can afford her for her dressing room, Mary Baker Eddie. So right around Christmas time, she asked for some pretty, for some money for some pretty expensive tea jackets. So, wow, honey, remind me when Christmas time comes around this next year, I need a couple of new suits. So I'm going to pull the congregation. <laughs> the key to this whole financial angle is to be found in five short words. All may contribute to these. 
Notice Eddie does not request 200,000 tea jackets, merely contributions toward them. No one was to send them, only send the money to buy them. Mother, Eddie, must have enjoyed this neat trick of replenishing her gold reserve, and none can deny that it was carried off with a finesse that rivals any confidence, uh, any confidence game ever conceived. All this, mind you, in the name of who? That's the part that just makes you sick. Just makes you sick. I mean, you don't even hardly hear his name mentioned in her works, and um, she uses him as to be a peddler, to be a peddler. All this, mind you, in the name of Jesus Christ and under the banner of Christian science, allegedly the true religion. And look, uh, Walter brings in Judge Rutherford. Y'all remember him, right, from the Jehovah Witnesses? Judge Rutherford of Jehovah Witnesses could not have had, could not have had Christian science too far out of mind when he said religion is a what? Racket. That's, that was his big, remember that? That was his big issue. You had Charles Taze Russell was the founder, then you had this Rutherford guy was the judge that came behind him and took it to new heights. And his, he had a big issue with organized religion. All religion is a racket, and then he goes in and creates one. So compared to Eddie, Pastor Russell and Judge Rutherford of the Watchtower Society were rank amateurs at collecting money. She played for the high stakes at all times, and with Mary Baker Eddie, it was always winner take all, and she did. So, Mary Baker Eddie. Now, the theological structure. Now, this is when, now this, if, if you've been dozing off uh, through this, because I've got to admit, it's, it's once you've heard a couple of sentences, you kind of know everything. I mean, it's not, like as, it's not like as outrageous as what Scientology believes. It's almost like just... Christian science is just like, it's just like empty and void nothingness. I mean, it, it, it's weird. It just, there's nothing to it. The inspiration of the Bible referring to Genesis 2-7. This is her question. Is this addition to his creation real or unreal? Is it the truth or is it a lie concerning man and God? And then she says it must be a what? Yeah, so the Bible's got lies in it. That's what she just said. The manifest mistakes in the ancient versions, the 30,000 different readings in the Old Testament and the 300,000 in the New, these facts show how a mortal and material sense stole into the divine record <coughs> with its own hue darkening to some extent the inspired pages. I mean, that's just total nonsense. So that's the doctrine. That's the inspiration of the Bible, Okay. Now, we, we would not say that. We, what we would say, we would go to 2 Timothy 3, right? We would go to the actual Bible and read what Paul, the anointed apostle of Christ, actually wrote about the Word of God, and it says, All Scripture is, God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Boy, how does that sound? That sounds really good, like it's true, right? So that's the inspiration of the Bible. She does not believe it at all. The, the Bible's not inspired. The doctrine of the Trinity and deity of Christ. The theory of three persons in one God suggests polytheism rather than the one ever-present I am. And that, that is a struggle that many have had through the centuries with the Trinity. Uh, they, they, they say that, uh, you know, that it's not one God. You can't have one God and three persons, but that's just one of those um, 
theophanies, one of those mysteries that we don't understand. The Bible is very clear. You can go in the New Testament and clearly see it. There's evidence in the Old Testament when you read the New There's evidence everywhere that is true, but she claims it's polythe- polytheistic. The Christian who believes in the first commandment is a monotheist. Thus, he virtually unites with the Jews' belief in one God and recognizes that Jesus Christ is not God, as Jesus himself declared, but is the Son of God. Okay, I mean, eh. I, oops, sorry. The spiritual Christ was infallible. Jesus as material manhood was not Christ. Is that true? No. No, that's not true. No, Jesus absolutely was 100% God and 100% man. He was God in flesh. He was man. He was God. The doctrine of God and the Holy Spirit, the Jewish tribal Jehovah, was a man-projected God, liable to wrath, repentance, and human changeableness, whatever that is. God, the great I am, the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-acting, all-wise, all-loving, and eternal principle, mind, soul, spirit, life, truth, love, all-substance, intelligence. Okay, why not put a scripture in there? I mean, you know, put a scripture in there. She didn't, do, she didn't put scripture anywhere in here because she doesn't believe the scripture. There's, this is just a bunch of gobbledygook. God is all in all. God is good. God is mind. God, spirit, being all. Nothing is matter. God, divine principle, life, truth, love, soul, spirit, mind. I mean, do, are y'all getting bored with this? I get bored reading this. It's not a challenge to me. The virgin birth of Christ. This is a pretty key, essential, essential doctrine. All these have been, but, but especially for, for, uh, for Christology. God is indivisible. A portion of God could not enter man, neither could God's fullness be reflected by a single man, else God would be manifestly finite, lose the the deific character, and become less than God. Jesus, the Galilean prophet, was born of the Virgin Mary's spiritual thoughts of life and its manifestation. So, just really weird ideas. And just if you're out there listening, live feed people, we are giving you the false theology of Christian science. False theology. We're trying to learn about these folks. When we see them, we can try to correct them and bring them to the true gospel. Doctrine of miracles. The sick are not healed by merely declaring there is no sickness, but by knowing that there is none. Okay. Sickness is a part of the error that truth casts out, error will not expel error. Christian science is the law of truth which heals the sick on the basis of the one mind or God. It can heal in no other way since the human mortal mind, so-called, is not a healer but causes the belief in disease. The so-called miracles contained in Holy Writ are neither supernatural nor preternatural. Jesus regarded good as the normal state of man and evil as the abnormal. The so-called pains and pleasures of matter were alike unreal to Jesus, for he regarded matter as only a, what is that, vagary? How do you say that? Vagary? Vagary of mortal belief and subdued it with this understanding. I mean, I just don't have any comments on any of that. The atonement of Jesus, you're going to love this. Well, you're going to hate it, really. The material blood of Jesus was no more 
I just wanted to hear y'all say it, efficacious. To cleanse from sin when it was shed upon the accursed tree than when it was flowing in his veins as he went daily about his father's business. <laughs> Man, if there's a heretical statement in her theology, that's it right there. I... The real atonement, so infinitely beyond the heathen conception that God requires human blood to propitiate his justice and bring his mercy, needs to be understood. Well, you're not, we're not going to learn it by, by your theology. I can promise you that, Miss Eddie. The death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus' students, not sufficiently advanced to understand fully their master's triumph, did not perform many wonderful works until they saw him after his crucifixion and learned that he had not died. Not that he's raised from the dead, but that he had not, so he didn't die. So he passed out on the cross, they took him down, he was never dead, then he, then he, then he resuscitated or whatever, they, whatever word you want to use there. His disciples believed Jesus to be dead while he was hidden in the, in the sepulcher, Whereas he was alive, demonstrating within the narrow tomb the power of the Spirit to overrule mortal material sense. I mean, this is just absolute nonsense. The ascension and second coming, until he himself ascended, or in other words, rose even higher in the understanding of Spirit, God, Jesus' unchanged physical condition after what seemed to be death was followed by his exaltation above all material conditions, and this all exaltation explained his ascension. In his final demonstration called the Ascension, which closed the earthly record of Jesus, he rose above the physical knowledge of his disciples and the material senses saw him no more. I mean, that, okay, so? Satan and the existence of evil. Hence, evil is but an illusion. Y'all, did y'all know that? Evil is only an illusion. It's not real. And it has no real basis. Evil is a false belief. God is not its author. The supposition... Laurie, what is that word? Suppositious? Suppositious? Suppositious. The suppositious parent of evil is a lie. All these vagaries are at variance with my system of metaphysics which rests as God, on God as one and all and denies the actual existence of both matter and evil. There was never a moment in which evil was real. There is one thing I told Carol and Colton this today. After studying this for tonight and then some stuff for next Wednesday, I have come to the conclusion that this woman very rarely read her Bible. If she had read her Bible, this, this would not, her theology would not be like this. She, she could not have read her Bible. She could not have read it. She just couldn't have read it. There was never a moment in which evil was real. I mean, evil is real on every page of the Bible, every page. The nature and existence of hell. The sinner makes his own hell by doing evil, and the saint his own heaven by doing right. Now, now that's not necessarily. I mean, that's not necessarily wrong. I mean that. You, I mean that. That's. I mean that. That's like. I mean, what is what is a. Uh, what's a scripture that you could cross reference to that that actually kind of in a, in a way substantiates what she just said? How about in Galatians when Paul says, "You reap what you sow," right? So if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternity. If you sow to the flesh, what do you reap? 
destruction, right? I mean, that's kind of what she's saying. I mean, you can make your own hell by living as a sinner in this life, or you can, or you can live in a virtuous way and, 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 be, and, be, and, have, and have somewhat of a decent life. I mean, that's not always guaranteed, but it can work out that way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. There is no evil, so how can you, how can you make your life? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It, it, her, her stuff is so full of contradictions that it, it's, you, you can't make sense of anything that she said. I haven't been able to make sense of it. That's why I haven't given you a whole lot of comments on all, all of her statements because there's just no, there's not even a, a place to really begin because it's all wrong. All of it's wrong. The olden opinion that hell is fire and brimstone has yielded somewhat to the metaphysical fact that suffering is a thing of mortal mind instead of body. Tell that to Paul, right? So in place, or Jesus, in place of material flames and odor, mental anguish is generally accepted as the penalty for sin. Crazy, crazy. The kingdom of heaven, its reality and significance, definition, heaven, harmony, the reign of the spirit, government by principle, spirituality, bliss, the atmosphere of soul. Heaven is harmony, infinite, boundless sin. Heaven, is that the same thing twice? No, heaven is harmony, okay. The doctrine of eternal salvation. Man as God's idea is already saved with an everlasting salvation. Do you get that? Man as God's what? Idea. So we're not real, it's just an idea. One sacrifice, however great, is insufficient to pay the debt of sin. Whoa. What's she say there? That Christ's sacrifice is not sufficient to pay for the sin of all humanity. That's what the entire book of, of Hebrews is about. That it, that it does pay for all of one sacrifice, once, once and for all. Uh, all the way through. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Christian science has been, this has been like one of the most bankrupt, uh, it's just bankrupt. Everything about this, this religion is bankrupt. I mean, it's not even interesting to, it's not even interesting to me. The doctrine of prayer. Prayer can neither change God nor bring his designs into mortal modes. I have no objection to audible prayer of the right kind, but inaudible prayer is more effectual. If prayer nourishes the belief that sin is canceled and that man is made better by merely praying, prayer is an evil. He grows worse who continues in sin because he fancies himself forgiven. I think she was maybe sipping on some morphine that day. What do y'all think? The creation of matter and its reality. There is no intelligent sin, evil mind, or matter, and this is the only true philosophy and realism. There is no life, truth, intelligence, nor substance in matter. All is infinite mind, and it's infinite manifestation, for God is all. And I, that, almost sounds, that almost sounds panentheistic uh, than, than theology. Man, the soul, is true nature and destiny. Man originated not from dust materially but from spirit is that true where did he come from god yes god took and fashioned man out of the dust dirt of the ground and then blew the breath of life into his nostrils so that's wrong that's what i'm saying she could not have read her bible if she had read her bible she she would know man is god's image and likeness whatever is possible to god is possible to man as god's reflection you can agree with that to a point, but not all the way. 
the existence of sin, sickness, and death. Devil, evil, a lie, error, neither corporal reality nor mind, the opposite of truth, a belief in sin, sickness, and death, animal magnetism or hypnotism, the lust of the flesh. Death, an illusion, the lie of life and matter, the unreal and untrue, the opposite of life. Matter has no life, hence it has no real existence. Mind is immortal. The flesh, warring against the spirit, that which frets itself free from one belief only to be fettered by another until every belief of life where life is not yields to eternal life. I mean, that's just multiple contradictions. Any material evidence of death is false for it contradicts the spiritual facts of being. I mean, it, 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 it's just insane. After the preceding quotations indicate the teachings of Christian science are vastly different, <laughs> would you agree with that? <laughs> vastly different from those generally understood to compromise the fundamental teaching of historical Christianity. It's, it's so far away from what we believe, I don't even know why it's called Christian science. And it would be a foolish student indeed who did not take cognizance of these severe deviations from biblical theology and mark them well as evidence of another gospel, the product of plagiarism, the amalgamation of sources suitably doctored by a professional literary advisor, and made palatable to the average mind by the semantic manipulations of Mary, Baker, Eddie. And I believe that's it. Is that it? No. How many more we got, y'all? We close? Two? Okay. Theoretically, Eddie was an absolute idealist who denied outright the existence of matter from the tiniest insect to the most gigantic star in the celestial galaxies. But practically speaking, she was a calculating materialist and individual who thoroughly enjoyed all the material comforts derived from denying their existence. Hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of faithful Christian scientists supplied their leader with all that money could buy and every material benefit available, yet Eddie continually affirmed the non-existence of these material blessings by teaching in effect that, she, that they really did not exist to be enjoyed. They were illusions of the mortal mind. I mean, this woman is nuts, okay? She just is. Sin, sickness, and death are equally relegated to these peculiar logical dungeons of Christian science reasoning processes and then represented as illusions of mortal mind regarding this phantom mortal mind, Eddie wrote. At best, matter is only a phenomenon of mortal mind of which evil is the highest degree, but really there is no such thing as mortal mind, though we are compelled to use the phrase in the endeavor to express the underlying thought. These are strange words indeed. They are not giving a name to an illusion that does not exist, representing it as evil, which is equally non-existent, and then blaming it for all physical woes, which cannot exist, since there is no reality or existence apart from the mind or God. This type of reasoning is considered sound thinking by Christian scientists the world over. However, the reader is urged to form his own conclusions dictated by the ob obvious facts that matter is demonstrably real and its decay and death are an ever present problem. And that's the website there I showed you earlier. So, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but, but studying that gave me a headache today. Um, well, I mean, I've been looking at it for, you know, for several days, but I mean, the, the, the crunch is on Wednesday when I get to the office and I've, I've read through it and I'm trying to, you know, get it, get it finalized for you to give you the notes and stuff. But I mean, as far as like studying these cults, so far, this is my least favorite. You know, I mean, I know that sounds really weird for me to say that, but, but like, Jehovah Witnesses, you had, you had crazy Charles Taze Russell. He was just a nut. And you had the, the fancy house that they bought for when Abraham was raised from the... I mean, I mean that was, that was kind of interesting stuff. 
Then after that, you had, what was after Jehovah's Witnesses? Uh, Mormons, we do them next. That, they, were, they were probably the most interesting, the Mormons were. And then after that, it was uh, Scientology. This is definitely my least favorite, least exciting, least, I mean, most, but I will say, the, I think the most blatantly, like, anti-biblical. I mean, the Jehovah Witness at least tried to weave some, yes, Mark? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great point. So anyway, so, so th this is, uh, we, we got one more session in Christian science, and th then we'll figure out. Um, I, I was thinking maybe we'd do Buddhism after this, and then we'll, then we'll quit. Then we'll, then we'll go back into the Scripture. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, 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 st it's still out there everywhere. It's still there.